and welcome to the Noise Creators Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Cannon. And today we're here with my bud, Paul Besh. Paul runs this amazing studio up in Buffalo called Quiet Country Audio. He just reopened the studio in a new location. It looks amazing. He's totally killing it. I am lucky enough to master a lot of his records, and I'm always impressed with how musical, natural, and just full of character his records are, and he kills it. He's worked with groups like Made Violent, Fernway, and Smug, and really just is a great dude. And as you'll hear in this episode, is really insightful and we have a great conversation. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to remind you I have this YouTube channel where I'm teaching musicians to go from zero to 10,000 fans. I talk all about that as well as creativity, and I post video versions of many of the podcasts in this feed on there and get into all sorts of interesting conversations. So if you're liking what you hear here, I highly recommend you go subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is called Museformation. Okay, let's listen to me and Paul talk. So how do you introduce yourself to people who like are clueless about the music business? What do you tell them that you do? Paul Besh, Quiet Country Audio, recording studio, live session series. Try to make music that's timeless, the best of my ability. But so let's say they don't <laughs> understand like what music is. Like, How do you explain to them what you do for a living? I try to pull emotions out of people because that's what connects us all regardless of anything is that we all feel. I try to capture feelings and save them and edit them and produce them in a way that makes others feel what the person who's creating something was trying to feel. I like that. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you ended up becoming a producer? Necessity in the beginning, being in bands and not having access to the biggest array of studios or anything. We were lucky to have access to a good friend of mine who was coming up. It was never the most rewarding process when we would leave a studio. Like a lot of things that if you want it done the way you want it done, then you have to go get it. You have to go do it. And then there's no one to blame but yourself if it doesn't come out the way you wanted. But at least, you know, you tried your best. So <laughs> Yeah. Those aren't always the best record records when you say <laughs> we tried our best. <laughs> it's still... It's got the passion in it. And it just when you have the vision and when you hear it the way it needs to be and you're paying somebody, but then there's disagreements where it inhibits any of that creative process. That was just always the worst. I need you because I don't know how to do it, but I know what needs to be done. And I just know that you're not doing it. Yeah, it is that funny thing is that you can know that you're not getting the right production and the right things, but you don't always know what it would be right. But it's very clear that somebody's not living up to it sometimes. Yeah, and it's hard to even identify that as yourself too. Egos run rampant in studios and amongst creative sometimes. And it's hard to separate yourself and realize what the problems actually are. But like I said, you feel, you know, when you don't know production and engineering and stuff and you're just in a band and you're in a studio, it's really easy to identify what it shouldn't be. It's really hard to figure out what it should. At least it was for me in the beginning. It's gotten easier and is kind of always getting easier the more that I do it. But that's just the the hardest part is like you might know what the vision is, but the actual path to get to it can seem impossible sometimes. And sometimes it, it is and you just have to work on something else. Definitely agree on that. Let's talk though. So then your path, like you're not happy with this. How, how do you end up with a recording studio? I was in a band touring, doing the whole thing. I was kind of new to the band. It was called Gracer. One of my good friends, Ryan, was like, dude, I went to recording school, uh, so I can do this if we just get an interface, which at the time was like two 2007. So we got a Digio 2. Home recording was just kind of coming into its own at the time. So it was kind of a perfect time to do it. He just said, you know what, we can do this. And three songs took us nine months. <laughs> so we realized, <laughs> no, nice. like, day, like well, well done. day and night, get home from work and just jump onto the computer until two in the morning into every day and being like, why doesn't this sound the way we want it to sound? So it was pretty drudgerous. And then, uh, 
luckily my parents are insanely supportive above their garage was just storage and I was like hey move all your shit to one side throw up a wall sound cool they're like yeah and then I did that and the band eventually stopped being a thing but the studio was already done at that time and I thought you know I like doing it. it was just really interesting to me and it was funny coming up being young and in studios like I think the first time I was in a studio I was 12 uh, so like ever since I was a little seventh grade forward I've been making records but I never really cared I was always like I, I was a bass player and I just cared about bass. I didn't really get the rest of it. I was just always so like, it has to be, you know, I was cared about my tone and my performances and all that stuff and didn't really care about the rest of the process. As I got older, it got more interesting. And, you know, even though the band went away, I still had the space and I had acquired some gear at this point and thought it could be cool. Being in it at such a young age and coming up, it's like, it's so hard to get money when you're in a band, especially if you're not good and people don't want to <laughs> pay to see you play, um, which a lot of things I was in weren't that good. Some things were really good, but I just knew the struggle. And I thought, okay, I can't in good faith take such hard earned money from people if I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But I also had uh, my daughter at the time, I think she was like one and it was like, well, I can't like go away to school or anything. So what am I going to do? And I went, I found uh, Berkeley College of Music Online and it changed my life, man. That was awesome. Couldn't recommend it enough for people who don't have schedules allowing internships or super late nights at, or 12 hours at working at little clubs and stuff. The, all the typical like come up ways that people get their chops with audio stuff. I just didn't have the schedule that allowed it. And Berkeley gave me access to a lot of knowledge. And, you know, I'm a really motive, self-motivated person. I fucking hated school, but I love learning. I like learning about what I want to learn about. If it's something I'm interested in, I get engulfed. Yeah, once I once I went to recording school, it was just awesome. So I did that until, I think I did that for like three years, maybe. Was recording in the meantime, like as I'm in my classes, I'm learning things and I'm applying them to my friends' bands and saying, just come over for fun and I'll do whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to charge you guys anything. And then once I got to a point where I started listening to like other studios work around here, I was like, hey, well, I'm you know, not too far off. Like I could hear it getting closer and closer. So I got to the place where I felt comfortable where like, okay, if you give me that 500 bucks or whatever that took you 20 shows to earn. I'll sleep well knowing that I deserved it, that I didn't just take it and figure out what to do after you gave me your money. So and that is one of the toughest things is that like, you know, at first, like, unless you have a massive ego, you can feel like, oh, I can't believe these people were dumb enough to trust <laughs> me with this sometimes. <laughs> um, you get. It's crucial you get past that point as fast as possible because it is painful. It is. And it's, you know, yeah, you got to do it though. And that's why I think, like I said, going to school and simultaneously just doing a lot of stuff for really close friends for free that gave me a lot of material to work on. And in school, I got, I got a lot to work on too. I mean, at the time it was a little different. You can get, you get so many like sessions and stuff now. Like if you want, if you wanted, oh yeah, if you wanted a newfound glory session, like with a master class, I'm sure it's fucking out there, like Tom Petty or whatever the hell. To get Jimmy World Bleed American at one point, they had it at Guitar Center <laughs> and I had my friend distract the guy while I dragged it onto a jump drive. Yeah, I had, it's the Bleed American one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, I, I like probably like 2004 or five, I did that to, to get it. So I, I don't know where I got that, but I got that and I got Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera really early on. Oh, I, I actually that the, you know, you know, you got that one because Pro Tools at some point had that for free. Oh, okay. Cause there's a, there's like a lesson. There's like a syllabus with the Jimmy World one. I have that. And I always wondered like, what the hell, like why, who made this? But it was like steps. Yeah, I mean, Av Avid like put it out at some point. Interesting. I remember, and it was it was it was like the Christina Aguilera one. You could get the uh, Lead American was a demo for like the first console. I want to say. Oh, that's okay. What my memory is, but you know, this is also like 16 years ago. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of nights of drinking. Since but then. it's you know what though. Uh, so like out of both of those, huge Jimmy World fan, favorite band of all time. But yeah. 
dude, yep. the Christina Aguilera one was a mind blower, man. It was like, that's yeah, how this, yeah, you see a lot of like, details. That's how they do this. Cause like, I don't listen to that at all, mm-hmm. but to see like 80 tracks of like bleeps and bloops, but you know, if you solo stuff, you're like, what the fuck? And then you unsolo it and everything sounds amazing. You're like, how, how do you do this? You know? So it yeah, was really I mean, cool, honestly. And that is the thing is, is like things like nail the mix. It makes it so much easier to see what goes into things. And I do, there is something too, also that when you know too much, one of my biggest struggles, I spent from like sixth grade, my senior year in high school without really engineering anything off of like past a Mackie console, but I had read every book on the market on recording. So I'm like, oh, you take 340 and I wouldn't be listening. I would (laughs) just be like, oh, well, you take 340 out here. You have to, man. And like, I had to learn to listen because I knew too much. And I think that's the thing is sometimes then with these sessions, I was like, well, this is just what you do. You put all these things here and it's like, well, no, really every band is a reaction. You have a widespread set of tools and you do what's right for each one. Right. But you have to understand the tools to know how to react. Yes. So also a critical step, memorizing all the all the frequencies and where things lie. But so yeah, I went to school and then um I just had an, I, I I liked as a kid kid like eleven I think in my first show I was like eleven or twelve and so from like thirteen on I just brought a video camera with me to every show because first of all I lived in the middle of fucking nowhere and it was like forty five minutes to get to these places and second of all I just wanted to watch I just wanted to watch bands like every day I would get home from school pick up a guitar and throw in a VHS tape of a show that I had been at and recorded and just watch it till the fucking tape wore down to nothing and when I had the studio I was like well I was just trying to think like how can I do this and make it worth my time and somewhat successful and stuff and get my name out there. And I just thought like, well, I loved filming bands back in the day. Like that was always fun. And my one friend was uh, coming up with a lot of video stuff. And I was like, hey, I know enough bands. Like let's hit up all these bands and have them come in and play live. And it'll kind of be this cross promotional thing for the studio. They'll get free marketing and stuff out of it via all my social channels and stuff like that. And then I'll get cross promoted by them promoting it. So win-win for everybody. And also the thing that I didn't like realize at the time, but that's dealing with all that bleed, man, and trying to get it to sound good. But that's dealing with like rough audio like that constantly. Cause I, I started doing that more than anything because people didn't really know I had the studio. But then when I went to like actually make records and things were isolated and I was multi-tracking, it was like, oh my God, this sounds so good. But it's because I had like, how am I going to fucking minimize bleed from blasting amps in this you know, these overheads right now, what's the, what can I do? And just the way that those Mm. uh, techniques applied to like actually making records, it was just cool. And then once I started to get some recognition, um, the sessions started to grow, like bigger bands were down to do it and um, just made a ton of relationships. It was awesome. And and then that lasted from, I think, 2013, 2012 to 2018. And that's when my mom sold her house and subsequently I lost that studio. And then I spent two years like just it balls deep in construction of the place I'm in now, of which I know absolutely nothing. Went to YouTube University and got my bachelor's in Home Depot. Just fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like bachelor bachelors. I prefer Lowe's because they don't donate money to Trump. But, uh, but uh, yeah, Home you. Depot is just uh, about five miles closer. So ah uh, yes, I, I, that's the that is the thing. I I drive an extra two miles for uh. It, it is it Home Depot is a shithole though. It is a dump, and most of their wood is trash. And Lowe's is. A far superior company, but 
And I did have to go there sometimes for certain things like cuts of maple and stuff like that that I really wanted to be nice. Yeah, and then I just then I didn't make records for two years and drown in self-doubt about why the fuck am I even building this place? Nobody's going to care. <laughs> and I uh, got it done and people do care and it's awesome and I'm surrounded by love and support and it rules. And here I am now. That is rad. The studio looks amazing. How long have you been you. in there um, Well, I thought the pandemic was the perfect opportunity to open it. I'd been waiting for a good pandemic to launch my recording studio. So third week of March was about when I decided to do that. But yeah, I started having bands in probably June, gave it a couple months before I felt cool. Actually, I had bands, I should take that back. I had bands coming in in January and February to do live sessions, um, but I didn't start making records until about the summer. Like June, when I started first booking stuff. There was a weird thing with that too, man. It was like, I hadn't done it in so long. Like I hadn't opened up Pro Tools. I hadn't looked at plugins. I hadn't put a microphone in front yeah, of Yeah, I remember you were saying this. And for the audience, we we, we talked a lot through this process. <laughs> yeah, there's some therapy <laughs> sessions, man. And uh, yeah, it's, it's easy to go off the rails, dude. It's just, like I said, I just didn't do it in so long. And there's all these other like great engineers in Buffalo and like other studios popped up and the bands that I worked with broke up and I didn't, you know, there was just a bunch of like, who fucking cares? man. Why? Why am I doing this? But I'd get out of that headspace, you know, I'd just go to sleep and wake up and be like, oh yeah, you're running on fumes and then feel better. And a lot of little accomplishments, building treatment or installing the window or installing the doors or wiring my patch bays for the first time or, you know, got to like focus on the little victories to step back and see it all done. It was such an undertaking to go from scratch to what it is. It's easy to like drown in how many things need to get done. Um, it sure is. I mean, even once the studio's built, it's easy to get drowned in what needs to be done. Oh, absolutely, man. And that's the thing. It's done. like, I I kind of had this like light at the end of the tunnel and then I crawled out and it just put me in another tunnel, <laughs> you know, but uh, it's good. Understood. But now, now you're I'm making, making records. records and uh, it's amazing. It's amazing to have like, it's a lot of the gear that I used to have in the old space. But again, the old space was literally just my mom's garage. It was a, the storage above it, weird little square room. And the, I built like a, a riser 10 inches or so that I, like, I sat on by the one window and that's like my control room but it was all just one big massive room and uh and here i have a separate control room and a live room and oh man it's awesome big thick doors uh, 350 pound sand filled doors i have two per doorway and yeah i actually had uh i had every time i die rent the space out from september to january to write their new record they're like some old friends of mine and i said like i'm still building this place and i'm not really here so much that you couldn't use it to to practice and stuff. And right at the end, like right before they got out, I installed the doors and I installed the window and I got it like pretty dialed in. And I remember coming here thinking like, okay, one of the like loudest metal bands on the planet. <laughs> I need to like close all the doors and I pulled out my SPL meter and while they were ripping full volume, I was in my control room and it was just so, it was just a whisper, man. And it was like, holy oh, shit. I love I that. Like I didn't, you know, because when you're doing it, it's like I'm putting triple the amount of caulk on every seal and every everything is just, you know, <laughs> the guy who I hired to design my studio, John Brandt, one of the first things he says is that like, just imagine you're building a giant fish tank. Consider that at the end of this, you're going to fill it with water. Where would the water get out? And I just kept thinking about that while I was doing it. Like, where could water get out if water were in here? And uh, there is one spot water could get out, but I had to have the wires go from my live room to my control room somehow. Yeah, that always is. That's the trickiest part, is that like, unless you do it through the floated floor and just make it a really circular thing. Yeah, that is always going to be the, the thing. 
It's, I mean, if you literally go up to it and put your ear up to it, you're like, oh, that's where the sound is coming from. But when you're in the control room and sitting back and because it's treated and stuff, you could whisper to each other with ETID ripping and you're not going to, you could do it, you'll be able to hear each other. Yeah. I mean, I've been in stu- some studios like where it's just the, pi- the, like the literally you go to the store, you buy the plumber stuff and then you stuff it with a pillow made of rock as much as you can do it. And there's a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of times it's like. You can't even hear that. <laughs> like the, the the seal is the rest of it, but the water would leak through. Yeah, but the, other than that, it's a three inch pipe. Other than that, this place is every all the electricals exposed, like on the exterior, uh, my conduit. And there's no there's no holes. Any there's three holes. Actually, there's five in the ceiling for the air conditioning. But then above that is all the ducts are covered in Roxel and then medium density fiberboard boxes that go all the way back to the HVAC room where all that shit is. So nothing comes in through there at all. Yeah, that's the way to do it. I'm not looking forward to having to do it again. <laughs> I bet, dude. I bet, man. <laughs> well, I'll be your I'll be your return emotional support whenever you need it, man. You got me. I'm going to appreciate that. I'm sure at certain points uh, when the noose is tightening around my neck, I'm going to need it. So let's get into you making records. Is there any advice you give to each band when you start working with them? Tune your guitar. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Well, pre-production is really important to me. Good, because that was going to be the next question. So you could just yeah. Skip well, to I mean, that, that is like the first, like, hey, we want to work with you. Show me what you got. And it did just me. I don't know how anybody else works, but me instinctively, I know that my first listen is always my most inspirational. If you send it to me, I'm not going to click it right away. I'm going to remember it that I have to do it, and then within 48 hours or so, I'll find like, okay, now is a good time, and I'll open up Notepad on my phone and put headphones on. I just speed of thought whatever comes into my head just write it down write it down write it down write it down and then god it's so crucial that it happens on that one it has to for me i don't know why if I, the more i the more i listen to it the more things start to be familiar and i start to like get demoitis and fall in love with weird things so what i'll do is my initial listen through and i'll just jot down my just brainstorm while i'm thinking and i'll put question marks on things even as i'm thinking it even if i think it's dumb a bad idea i'll still write it down and then i'll do a second listen through right after but the second listen through i'm not really list- trying to take notes again i'm just reading my notes while i'm listening to it kind of like iron that out and then i'll usually send that over to the band if they want production so i guess to back up on pre-production that's if they want production almost every band whether they know it or not does but they might call it something different but yeah typically there's varying levels of how involved they want you to be so that's the first thing like do you want me to just push buttons and kind of keep my input out of it or do you want me to be like a fifth member because i'm down for anything and everything in between whatever you want out of me i'm happy to deliver on the best i can i'm actually working with a band this weekend doing an ep and it's awesome like we did uh they're called johnny and the man kids that was the first qca session that i did here and that was in january and then they hit me up uh, about august or so and we got time this weekend we're going to do like five or six songs and with them it's a it's the same thing as i don't really know them that well or anything but they just like what i'm doing and they're used to they're really cool if you like uh for fans of dr dog ish shit you know they're recording with my friend rj at his studio skyway studios which is awesome but when i had talked to them and it leans into like what do you tell bands uh the question you asked me he i have nothing but respect for because his band is awesome he's awesome and he's got all the skills that i hope to one day have as far as like he can edit drums in 10 minutes he can tune vocals in five seconds like all the like hyper modern technique stuff uh that i just don't know that well but i'm learning he's really fucking 
fucking good at. And he made the EP with this band and it was it's great and it sounds really, really fucking good. I mean, I talked to him about it when I was here and I just said, you know, it sounds really good. And they're like, well, man, you know, it works just really hard the way that he worked. We didn't realize how much work it is. And it's just not my style. I'm more here, again, going back to your first question, it really is like carving out the emotion and pulling it out of you because nobody's going to give a shit if you don't, they can't hear that you give a shit or it doesn't come across like you care. You know, you need that with them i it's a, like i'm going to approach it completely differently some of my notes are like i have an out of tune piano that i purposefully will not tune i want the one song to start with that and just get weird man vocals down the hallway were based on the the level that the mic if you do three mics in the hallway that's uh, an old like bowie trick but they sing into the first one and the louder they get there's gates that open the other two the t-verb yep like stuff like that just getting you know we'll sing through guitars i'll put a fuzz pedal on a guitar and he can scream into the pickup all anything man like all that sort of character stuff they're the perfect band for and i hear so much of it in their songs i think they're going to be new to that process i'm just really excited it's awesome like that and that's but that's that project that totally does not apply to everybody but one of the things i like about the stuff that you do is that it has character and color and i think the worst thing and whenever you know it can be very get off my lawn at times but like the worst thing that most experienced producers have with somebody who's starting off is that all they do is they try to make everything as sterile and perfect as possible. And then you start to learn like, no, color and weirdness and uniqueness and actual sonic signatures are what's actually cool. Then you hear a Dave Fridman record and you go, oh my God, my mind is blown. And like <laughs> the most extreme example. Yeah. Like Dave Fridman for me is like what I would love to a team, but for a lot of people, that's like, whoa, buddy, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know, but that's the thing. Like, here, there's there, all the other studios here, at least. And like you said, a lot of people do that. And it's like, it's funny because I consider that the the skills I have the least of. If you want a really clean, pristine, perfect, I just don't know how, man. It's just not my thing. <laughs> I just like getting weird all the time because like, what the fuck else are we doing here, man? Like everybody can download the same software and do the same thing. I just like to make it as strange as possible without crossing the threshold into like unlistenable, but make it charming and unique. Yeah. My other thing too is I'm very convinced not that everybody hears ever because there's tons of great slacker songs, but people hear thought and they hear going past just the stock first tone that comes in garage band first fender amp that pops up on the UAD Apollo. They hear that effort. I'm convinced that that's rewarded. I hope so. Then some people tell me Umbrella is one of the best selling songs and it's the first preset in garage band. And then I, that I get to feel like a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever, man. Whatever. It's cool. I'm happy that stuff's successful. So how do you show a band that you're on the same team as them? I'm not some special person. I'm not some special... I don't have any gift. It's just... I played in bands my whole life and I want to help other bands and I don't want anybody to feel like nothing in the studio is untouchable. Like reach over my, I, I like to show bands what the shit does. Like here, this is pan and this is volume. So if we're working and you think that shit should be in the left and I have it in the right, I'm not going to slap your hand if you reach over and move it. Go ahead. Like I want you to walk out of here saying we made something that we paid somebody to make something. You know what I mean? And as involved, I will explain anything to anyone if you want to know 
how a compressor works or why do you have this pedal or what about this amp? Spending a lot of time with all my gear and digging through it all allows me to talk about that confidently, but it's just crucial, man. It's just my favorite thing to do is to be the fifth member or fourth member or whatever it is, like just to interject myself into it on the same level that they're into it because I just feel like that yields the best results. I don't like things being like cold or timid or weird or even if I don't know them, I guess I'm just really good with strangers, but I don't really, I don't really care. I'll, I'm just myself and so far that has turned out to be all right you know, <laughs> no lawsuits or anything yet. So yeah, I just, I like to be the, that extra person in the band and feel like I'm not the wizard behind the controls and they're the band on the other side of the window. It's like, we are all doing this together. And if I like to play on their stuff or, you know, just show them ideas, it's like, dude, shoot it down. I don't give a fuck, but this sounds really cool in my brain right now. And maybe it sounds horrible once I do it, but you mm-hmm. know, and this band in particular, it's cool. Cause I kind of had to, I had to come up with something to say. Cause when I wrote my notes, for this band, I had a lot and it kind of was like, ah, oh, shit. Because again, I don't really know them. So I was like, okay, maybe they're going to think I'm an asshole if I send them like this giant page of all these things. But I just asked them. I just said like, how involved do you want me to be? Because I've got some heavy handed things to throw at you and I don't want you to take it the wrong way. It's all just trying to make this the best it can be. And they were super receptive. So it was awesome. They loved what I sent over and, you know, fired back with a couple things. And it's like, we're already working on it. It's not until, you know, it's not for another four or five days. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I have a rule with the things is I'm like, I try to find the five things that they could be doing in the rehearsal studio to send them. And then I keep the rest to myself for the process because I don't want them to be like, oh God, he hates us. And we haven't even gotten in the room with them. Oh God. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I'm I'm learning that. I'm learning that. That's that's good advice. Because I just sent it all, man. I just gave them the whole the whole shebang. This chorus blows. Is this a chorus? Question mark. Fix this. You know, what are we gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Is this the chorus? Question question mark. That's that's the one they all love. (laughs) I think for the one I said, pick four words, any four words that you say in the song, and repeat them five to seven times in this section. Just do that and pick the simple melody and see if that, then you can kind of hear what I'm talking about more about how I don't think there's a chorus. There's no, you know, stuff like that. Kind of like techniques to employ too. How do you see it when somebody says nobody will hear that? What's your philosophy on if anybody's going to hear If it? anybody's going to hear like what we're making? No, uh, like a glitch in something. Oh, nobody's going to hear that? Ah, oh, um, <laughs> Nobody's gonna hear that. Yeah, the traveling Wilburys, man. I don't know this reference. Oh no! Uh, so you know the, who the traveling Wilburys are? You know who the traveling Wilburys are, but the origin of the name is uh, Wilbury. Is we'll bury it in the mix if you fuck up. So they were called the traveling Wilburys because <laughs> they would all fuck up in the studio constantly, and we're like, ah, we'll bury it. So yeah, I'm not a perfect, and that's kind of like what I was talking about before, man. Like I'm not. Oh, that shit's cool, man. Oh, that's oh, that shit's sweet. If it's if it's sweet, it's not all necessarily sweet just because it sounds like shit. It's hard to make things sound bad and then also sound good. Stupid as that says coming out of my face as I'm saying it. But like you listen to Flaming Lips, like Fridman reference, and it's you know somebody be like, man, it sounds like shit. But they say it in this like, but I love it kind of way. And it's not easy to do. It's not. It's really easy to get really abrasive, aggressive, unlistenable crap. But to make that then fit in your song and ultimate goal convey the emotion is challenging it's a lot of trial and error um, I'm not really super anal I like things slightly out of tune uh, if it's the right project I like things slightly out of tune maybe sometimes it's okay or maybe you fall off the click a little bit but all the rest it's cool because you're pulling and the band's pushing I just go so much off a of feel man 
Because there's one thing that you hear, like when you're trying to come up in this, it's all like, trust your ears, trust your ears. And for years, it was like, what the, f- what does that mean, dude? What if I have horrible ears? It's a very like blanket statement. I figured out what it meant finally. Yeah, it's just feel, man. Just, I don't try to look at Pro Tools a lot. I don't really care what the levels are at. It's not like all my guitars have to be at negative 10 or whatever. I do a lot of mixing like with my eyes closed and automation because that shit's just distracting. You don't want to make music by looking at waveforms. I've, I haven't had good results like that. I'm sure people out there make hit records like that. I either have to just look down at the ground, put my fingers on the faders first, and then look down at the ground and memorize like where my fingers are and make my automation, all that stuff that way. Yeah, fuck-ups are, fuck-ups can be cool. It depends how bad and it depends what part of the song it's in. And Typically, I'd say I embrace it if it's embraceable. So you just mastered Fake Space, what's the etiquette thing I did? The split. Yes. And one of my favorite songs on there is She Skates by Fake Space. And it starts off with Christian, the singer, going... <sighs> And it ends with him going, nah, 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 man, nah. And that was not planned at all. What I what I like to do vocals, I go like, okay, just sing the whole thing for me front to back. And that was the song we started with. And we had a lot of conversations about like, I fucking hate recording vocals and it's not fun. And I'm like, I know, but we'll get through it. We'll do one song at a time and we'll, we got it. Don't worry about it. And that was just his first, all right, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, man. <sighs> Like it was natural. But that's an example of like a mess up or something that when we started doing it, the feel of that song and the feel of Fake Space, that band is just slacker, man. He's just, uh, he's just, uh, I love him. He is just such a good friend and a fucking stoner, happy, funny, good dude. That's got to come across. I don't care if your pitch is off and I don't care if you're doubling guitars, if the strumming's slightly off or whatever. All that works, man. All that works. Just put your hoodie up, put your hands in your pockets, tilt your head to the side. Just like do your... Do your shit, man. Be you. And that's like that song and that whole vocal, like that's him. And it's awesome. I'm so happy that's on there. Yeah. And I think there is that thing of the plugins make it so everybody wants, you think you should take away that stuff, but it's like, mm. Not the vibe, not the vibe. And the big, the, the big indicator for me too, is if everybody laughs and it's been that way since I was 12. If you're playing music and if you're doing stuff and you just, it's like cracking you up, you, uh, you struck gold. That's if it just makes you all crack up and laugh. It's the best. That's perfect. Yeah. And it really is the thing. I had a period. I always call it like when you're the victim of like knowing too much, I'm like, Oh, I've cracked the code on these records. And yo, admittedly, I had had a good streak, but I love a lot of records that are awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it. But then I hit a bad place where I just became a fucking tyrant for everything. And I was not laughing. And I was like, uh, I'm forgetting the thing that all my favorite records are made laughing. Like I always think of the Lifetime Hope Jersey's Best Dancers record, like where they're like, have the I'm stuck to the floor thing. It's like, if you're not having that, it's not it doesn't come out. And it really is true that all the best records I've ever been a part of, we laughed our fucking asses off till we hurt ourselves. Dude, right? Right? And that's why I'm saying, like, we'll do something or, we'll, you know, you'll pick up a guitar and you'll play something. Everybody's just like cracking up. It's like, dude, that's it though. That's fuck. That means that's it. And it goes back to what I said about emotion, man. That's like one of the great things. I took this awesome class in school, music production analysis. It was about what ties Elvis with Eminem. Why are they the same? What's the thing that binds all of it together when it's like music people love on a grand scale? And whether it's happy or sad or whatever, it's just conveying an emotion, getting people to feel. With that Jersey's Best Answers thing, it's like, I feel like I'm one of the dudes. I feel like I'm hanging out with Lifetime. You get a little window into 
their shit. Yeah. It really helps the feel everybody hears. And it helps. The other thing is too, is it's like records where everybody's angry at each other. You give up instead of fixing those last little details that you should fix. And I'm not talking about like the dumb things we were just talking about keeping. It's like, you're just like, I want this to be fucking done. And you don't try. You're deflated when you're mixing instead of feeling the emotion. And it, it does have to be that thing that you got to be laughing. You got to. And there was one thing, like I was working on this project recently and we were having the time of our life. Like we were cracking up. It was awesome. We were having so much fun and we went to do vocals. It was, you could, it just sucked the fucking air out of the room. The guy here had his friend here and I said, okay, you know, like he was in there trying his like ninth take or 10th take or whatever. And I just kind of turned the monitors off in the control room when I was with his friend. And I'm like, okay, after this, why don't you guys go outside and smoke a cigarette? And what I want to do is he is so good at music and playing music and recording and all this stuff, but he has no confidence in his voice. So he doesn't want to give up on this shit altogether and just say, screw it. We're going to fuck vocals, man. Who cares? Like, let's take all the time we've got and make something that you are so proud of. You have no option but to finish it. You won't, you don't care that you can't sing. You All the issues that you're dealing with right now will go out the window if we make something that you're so proud of, you can't walk away from. He's like, no, that's cool. I think that'll work. So then they went outside and they came back in. He's like, yeah, we're going to call it for today. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Let's, let's fuck all that, man. Focus on the tunes. And then we did that and the music came out great. And I go, okay, now this is what I want you to do. Give me a song. I don't care which one. Pick it. I want you to spend a week every day at home for like 30 minutes or whatever. Just sing it over and over and over and over. And then on the seventh day, that's our studio day. And we will come in. And even if it's like two hours or whatever, we're just going to do one song. We're not going to try to like, this one feels good. So we're going to do three at once or whatever. We're going to pick one and we're going to hammer it as hard as we need to and have no stress about clocks ticking. We're running out of time and stuff because a lot of bands will book chunks of like four days or five days. And we were coming up to the end of that and the vocals needed to be done. It was just understandably stress city because it was so fun up to that point. Once I started noticing that getting sucked out, it was like, I can't let this happen. What do I, what do I got to do? Case by case basis. It wouldn't work with everybody, but with this guy, it just was perfect. And then he came back and then the first song went really, really well. And then each song after that went better and better and better until he just couldn't have been happier with it. You know, it's crazy too. And that is the biggest problem with like when you get too busy at times is that sending a singer home, just be like, dude, the vocal's not there. You know, you didn't rehearse this. You know, you didn't write it long enough. It's just not working. I'm going to say if I've done that 70 times, 68 of them made a song that is so much better. It is unbelievable. Yeah, man. Like, it's okay to say you don't got it. It's okay to say, like, today is not the day, man. It's okay. I'm not going anywhere. Nobody's knocking down the door begging for this. It's okay. Funny thing, too, of like, it's sometimes also okay to say music is not a steak where you put it in an oven for a certain amount of time, you get a certain cook. You don't always know that you've put in all the effort a part needs or something needs. And sometimes it's okay to say, I misjudged. I thought this was working. Clearly it's not. And it's hard to, it's hard to know when to call it too, especially like being in my position. Like I can recognize when it's just been too long a day and you're just not there. I know you can be there. I've heard you be there and I know you can get there, but the psychology behind telling somebody who's like paying for it and took time off of work and know that my schedule is tight. There's all these like outside things, but for what, man? Then all the rest was like a waste. The stress that's at the last half of the last day of recording isn't there on the first day when you're loading in like telling jokes and drinking coffee and all that shit. Just bring it back to that time. It can be that the whole time. The psychology that's hard to, it was hard for me to try to tell bands, whether it's the drummer or the singer, whoever, like today's not your day, man. <laughs> you know, today's not your day. And I'm just going to go home and hang out with my kids and chill. And you go home and chill. And it's okay. It's not, she ain't going nowhere. 
on hard drives. It'll be here tomorrow. No one needs to be mad about it. Let's just let's just take it another day. Yeah, it's just I remember when I was starting thinking that and not saying anything and just sitting through the worst, most unbearable takes. <laughs> like just such a it's a waste of my time, their time. It puts a weird memory on the project. And not everybody's receptive to it. Not everybody wants to hear again egos and shit like, no man, I do got it. but again, I can just tell. A lot of the times it's like, just not today. Just not today. Well, that's all right, man. Yeah. On that taking to cook the uh, sauce thing, how long do you usually find you like to have to work on a song? Tracking or like mixing and stuff? Just to like make it? Give me the whole conversation. Tracking is at least a day, but I'd like two days per song. That would be ideal. That gives me time to like fully explore what it needs to be because I'm a big experimenter guy. 50 pedals, four tape delays, 15 guitars, three drum sets. Like I just, I, it, that's why it's all here. And I don't like when it's, we have no budget, we have no time. So come in, pick one amp and one guitar and that's the whole record. I have all this shit for a reason. When I know something could be better and we're not doing it, I got to figure out how to incorporate it somehow. I got to figure out what line I have to use to convince whatever band it is that like this is worth stopping what we were doing to go back to doing a guitar because... Or before we're done, I know you think you're done with guitar, but I'm going to need you to do this one more thing and promise you, like, it'll be great. So yeah, usually if I, if I, perfect world, if like I had two days of song, then I feel like I can really figure it out. And that's like quick stuff. Like if we're making an album and I have like two weeks, that's a different thing. We might spend a day on drum tones. Yeah, I'd say on average two days for one song. And I'm mixing, I ebb and flow with. Sometimes I don't want anyone around at all. And I get really uncomfortable with the bands here because it's the same risk taking that fucking with amps and pedals is and puts off a vibe, puts off a weird vibe sometimes. I'm just trying to find something. I like to just wander around the plugins sometimes and see if I can get inspired. And sometimes that comes across as like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And, you know, it's like, why are you wasting our time right now? And it's like, well, I just wish you weren't here because I'll do this for an hour and not charge you for it if you just shut the fuck up and let me do it because it'll be better in the end and I'll find what it is I'm looking for. Like I said in the beginning, almost like it's to have the vision is one thing but to get there can be really fucking easy and really fun sometimes it can be a big struggle yeah like i try to tell this to the people i've had work for me is it's not okay to not understand how to use auto-tune really fast and like dick around with it for hours trying to figure out how that works because part of your job is you should be proficient in that and getting a drum take that's played reasonably well a little bit more on the click. Playing around and seeing which distortion is going to give the right color and things like that and what compression really is going to make the song move, that's part of what you get paid for and the fun of this job is that you get paid to do that and dick around and as I sometimes like to call it, I like to think of it like an RPG game sometimes like you're you're allowed to walk around the castle for a while and put your sword through the grass and see if you find a rupal you know the whole thing <laughs> yeah um and so and it depends on the band and some bands i don't want to mix it unless they're here there's a thing in the in the Foo Fighters documentary about how Dave Grohl re-records all the drums for Color and the Shape. And I love William Goldsmith. He is like one of my favorite drummers. Oh yeah, one of my favorite drummers of all time. I I, I would actually say the Rising Tide Dude, is the, the very one of the most perfect drum records of Just all time. Right away. But yep. I get when Dave Grohl explains it, it's like you don't even need to explain it, man. I I get it. And I like when I see that in people in here. Not that I isolate the rest of the band, but I encourage the rest of the band to encourage the visionary like I'm going to, because we will get there fast 
faster and it will be a clearer picture once we do and it will make the most sense. If you know the way it should be, you need to be as vocal as possible and at every step. Like, help me help you, you know? Like, I want to know. And I find typically when bands, I want to mix with bands here, it's because that was either like lacking in the session or I just can't find it, which is fine, you know? I, I do my best, but if I can't find what it's supposed to be the right way, like if I send off a rough mix and it's like, do this with way off or whatever, then I want them here. And just like I like collaborating, making records, I like that too. Come on, dude, nothing is funner than twisting knobs, bro. Come on in. I got knobs for days. Play around. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not to do, I don't care. Touch my shit, man. Like, let's do this together. I want to walk away as proud of this as you. And I want, I, everything with me is all about collaboration. Like, the best shit's made with other people, not by yourself. And just the more involved I can get the bands in and break down the barrier between like me and them, where like the shit's not intimidating if I explain it to you really fast and simply. You know, you can just sit all the time. I tell bands, like, sit in my chair, sit right in the middle. It'll sound the best. You'll be in the, in the right stereo field, like sitting on the edges of the room or on the couch or something and get in there. It's like, you're the guitar player. All right, here's your guitar tracks. Uh, if you click this and do this, it'll do this. And then I'll go go outside or grab a drink or do something else, and then come back and be like, "All right, what'd you, what did you find out? What do you think?" And sometimes it's, "Hey, we got to do that over." Or "Hey, it's just cool." I just I like just making shit with people, not feeling like I have four sets of eyes over my shoulders watching every mouse drag across the screen and what's he going to click on next and breathing out like that's not me. And I'd shut that shit down. Yeah, dictatorly production where everybody watches with a bated breath is not as fun as including people. I think once people get past their ego they realize that yeah and that's just it's it can be challenging for you know a heavy-handed mix and all that stuff but if you're just a guitar player in the band and you want to kind of learn a little something i like to do two things every session that's like a steadfast rule i want people to leave here and have learned something about either the process or themselves or gear i want to teach everybody who walks through the door something they didn't know before they came here and i also want to learn something that i didn't know and i'm always absolutely make it a rule that on everything i do i did something i've never done before and i I found that works. Just it could be one mic, it could be 10 mics, it could be anything, anything. And that's one of the ways I prepare myself for sessions is I just try to grab any of the recording books I have and flip to any chapter and whatever it's on, be like, okay, so it's on guitars. What's something I've never done with guitars before? And what can I learn out of this and try to apply it? And I just did that with I had a video session Monday night, great band called Cooler. I did two things. I did stereo amps because it was a one guitar player band. I did mid-side overheads with uh, the AEA R88 mic. Not, you know, it's funny. I have that mic. I've still not done uh, mid-side with it. You know what it was, too? I, it's, it's a just open book. I always see it on like Instagram and YouTube and shit. People always have it over the drummer's head. And I just never like, I never fuck with that. And I was like, dude, every video I watch, people do that. And I always think it's wrong because it's usually over their it's a right-handed drummer. It's over their left shoulder. It's kind of like aiming at the ride symbol. And <laughs> it's always like coming from that angle. And that was a huge thing for me, too. I recently shifted my overhead perspective so that my kick and snare create a line and that makes I love that that makes everything sound so much better I only ever did space pair until like a couple months ago I always wondered why people had their mics shifted like that weirdly over like the crash symbol in the left and like weirdly over the floor tom but they still were considered space pair but like again doing that and shifting the the middle focus just it, it's awesome so I was like what about the manual like I never read manuals for fucking anything I was like so is there a manual that comes with this mic and you go online and there's a manual <laughs> And the first I'm thing, looking at it right now. It, it, it's it's in one of my storage bins. It, it always faces me. And yeah, one of the uh, like the first thing is like how to record drums with this mic. And I'm like, all right, yeah, let me see. And I I do it in front of the kit a lot, and I do mid side a lot. It's really fun. When I got it, it was always my front of kit mic, and then. It's funny, I had this other great uh, engineer, my buddy Charles from Seaside Lounge. He came in, 
he put it over the drum set and I heard it. And I was like, I am so fucking stupid. I've had this mic for a year and I've never done this. I've always been a spaced pair really high up. Like I try to put the overheads as close to the fucking ceiling as I can get it. Like old Jerry Finn style. Like I want that really, really high thing where it's almost like a room mic, but it's just close enough that I'm getting cymbal impact. And then I did this. So I was like, ah, ooh, ah, punchy drums. Cause so when I, I first came in here I go like okay well all I know is my old room which is completely completely different like my control room is the size of what my entire studio was before my live room now is massive and uh, I'm like I'm gonna just do what I did before that's all I know and we'll start there and it sounded fucking horrible it sounds so bad and I was like dude what like how come I don't know how to do this anymore this sucks so then I was like, well, let me research like what overhead miking techniques really are supposed to be. And I found uh, a, a lot of gear slots, threads and shit like that. And I took from it an overwhelming consensus that between, I think like 36 and 42 inches off the ground, and I set it up and it's like, dude, that is so close. Like I am so close to these symbols. This is so weird. But then I did that and I liked it a lot. It was like it totally changed how, what I do with overheads and how overheads sound for me and like what they mean. But just another like tool in the toolbox, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just like okay, I get that. That makes sense, and I understand like when I need that, that's what I'll do. And with the the overheads with the AEA, I, I had done it above it before, just by the fact of how they're set up in mid side. I always just thought like, well, I'll cancel the fuck out of the middle, and I'll grab the symbols in the room. Like that makes sense to me. But I always did it from the front of kit position, like up and over the top. Um, and I didn't really like like it that much. And in all the pictures in the manual and everything I've ever like watched on YouTube where dudes use that mic, it's always at like a 45 degree angle from the floor and it's above the drummer like right above his head so i was like all right fuck it i'm gonna check this out hopefully they don't hit it with a stick and uh that's pretty cool that's pretty cool totally different it's completely completely different than space pair but it's rad so since we're getting low on time here i want to get into what has shaped you so uh what is a perfect record someone else has made and what about it makes it perfect uh there's two that come to mind and they're my favorite they're probably my favorite records, but that would be a good answer for that. Is uh, Jimmy World Clarity, which is like everybody's answer. It is. It, I think it is the most popular answer on this podcast. Yeah, but fucking listen to it, man. I cannot. You know, it's you, you know, it's funny. I put I put Bleed American over it because it's a little bit more me. Okay. Okay. I it's a it, it is a tight race. I I just I cannot, and there's no other record that does this, but I cannot put that record on here. Any song from it in any. Spotify playlist or anything and not stop whatever I'm doing and start it to just go from the beginning and go all the way through. I just, I have to, it is so, it's just the perfect, it's a capturing emotion. They just fucking went for it. And it was the perfect balance of emotion and gear and budget and time. Everything just was in the right place at the right time. The recording technology was in the right place at the right time with digital on the rise, but everybody who was there making that had so much analog gear knowledge that it was just like the perfect gel of old school and new school meeting together right when that record was made. I just love it. And another record that means as much to me as that does is uh, Diorama by Silverchair. Um, that's another one where he... Great record, yeah. Everything involved in that from the story of like he came off antidepressants and he drove to the studio in the middle of the night and he deleted the entire record that they were working on without telling anybody and they all came into the studio next day and it was gone and he just had this three-month vision of like this is what it's got to be they make it and it's incredible and then the major label comes in from america and says there's no single so daniel johns just bounces for a week and then he comes back eating an orange and they're like where have you been he's like well if i give them any other vocal take besides what's there they have the option to say well that's better and if i do nothing 
they just wasted millions of dollars. So I'm going to do nothing. <laughs> like totally painted the label into a corner. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it worked because it shouldn't be fucked with. It was so, again, that's like the perfect example of like the visionary. Like he knows and he's known since he was 12 years old. He's been on a major label since he was 12. Another case of a record being called an absolute failure when it came out and then every just like Clarity and everybody going, no, that's a classic. You know, there was a lot of that going around back Back then, especially with now that we're at the 20 year mark of like a lot of these records is like it's the lost context of that. Let's talk about literal records that were called failures in print. Yep. I mean, dude, the list goes on. Clarity, Diorama, Pinkerton. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, mm, not so much now. <laughs> I showed Justin from Made Violent the first song on Diorama over the winter. And I was like, dude, you just got to hear this very first song. And I swear to you, dude, it fucked him up for a week. It just 24 hours later was like, why does anybody even try to make music after this gets created? Like, yeah, dude. And just he, he slipped. Yeah. It's just those, the fact that like that has a documentary to it helps to like just seeing how he, there's two documentaries on Diorama, but they're both they both convey the same thing of just how important having the vision is. And that's just like really what I latched on to because like I said, in the studio when I was younger, it was really timid because I didn't, I know I didn't know anything, but I also knew like we'd get mixes back and stuff. And it's like, this is just fucking so off from what it, I wanted it to be. And that's why when I have a band in here, an artist in here and they know it, I shut off everything else. And it's like, I just want to, I'm focusing on you. You are the one and everybody else here needs to support you the way I'm, I'm going to because it'll come out right. You can have your inputs, but this dude right here who wrote this and is saying like he's got we got to keep him in the front we got to focus on that he or she how about five records that uh really were big in your mo musical growth i'll have to go from the beginning i'll pick five Pezcore by less than jake because i was in the fourth grade when i was like oh my god you know what's funny for me with that record is it's like different recordings it's not consistent recording all the way through and i had not heard records like that because most of what i had been hearing most of my life was like we made a record in one studio in a limited amount of time and like whether it was the bonus tracks or remember but i remember being like what the fuck and then like seeing the credits like oh these songs weren't recorded at the same time right. you can do that they didn't break a law oh, they're not getting it's arrested fun. it's, for it's that. funny too how shitty all the music i grew up listening to sounds and how much it doesn't matter it doesn't and it's just the song so the song is so much more important than and that's the other thing just quick segue but it, i try to stay relaxed doing this too because it's like dude at the end of the day people love beatles records and there's like no kick drum and the 1970s was void of kick drum and people love that fucking stuff so don't worry about it too much so pescore that's what got me like into music first and foremost. Scott loves making kids eating chicken fingers happy with music. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like teenage years just saves the day in general uh, because they were the first band that they were probably the third band I ever listened to with Cancel Down and watching them grow was that was the first time I saw a band go from Cancel Down to like in Reverie and everything in between and be like, whoa, dude, you can do this. Happened with brand new too, from like your favorite weapon to Deja. It was like, whoa. And I remember, I remember telling my brother, I downloaded uh, over a 56K modem Deja and I listened and I came downstairs and he's like, so how is it? Cause you love that band. And I was like, it fucking sucked. It sucks. There's no pop punk on it at all. God damn it. And then just all this stuff. There's fucking auto tune glitches on the background vocals. And you know, it took a week, but then I was like, oh my God, my life's forever changed. But no, Saves the Day was really important to me just in general. Cause each record came out, it was like, whoa. Oh, this is not like the last one and whoa now this one's not like the last one and 
And then they came back to the original shit and like it just it that they taught me how to like be moldable with, as an artist. Then probably a Siguros Tech or Talk or however you say it, early 20s. That was like the first time I listened to music in another language and gave a shit. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, it, it, it made up language. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but like, I even my wife loves to listen to like Spanish dance music, and I'm like, I, I just can't. I just don't know. I don't know what they're saying, so it bugs me. I like to listen to the lyrics, and I don't know what they're saying. So I did a consult call yesterday with a guy in Iceland, and it was like funny. It's like you know, Iceland is a very hard language to learn. I'm like, he's like, it's also a very ugly language. I'm like, so much that your biggest band decided to make up another one. <laughs> yeah what is it hope hope landing that's I exactly what it is yes 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 yeah yeah oh dude the new single is a fucking banger is it oh my god yes oh i haven't checked it out sam and i were uh messaging about it it's so good the first three songs on that record are fucking unbelievable the solo record dude but coming uh you know they just went like dark as fuck again, and it was awesome. Just super cool band. His solo stuff's cool, and I just love all that. Pezcore started it. Saves the day taught me a lot. Sigur Rós just showed me what spooky means, like what ambience is in general. That you and I'd say like I don't listen to it a lot now, but what was really important at the time when I heard it was right around then was Explosions in the Sky. That was the first time. Uh, there was one in particular. All of a sudden, I miss everyone. Oh no, sorry. Uh, the Earth is not dead, but is now a cold dead place it was my first night of my first tour ever and as i was falling asleep i put that record on and it was the first time we were on like a six-week tour and it was the first, it was like all i ever wanted to do my whole life and i put that on and yeah i mean it'll just always be super nostalgic but it was like you can hang on one note for three minutes and i'll still listen to it weird because when you got drums in front of you you got a guitar and pedals you just want to you should be moving why aren't you doing something how come you're not playing why did you leave space what's the matter do you not have a part and that's just just one note, <laughs> like minutes and minutes. I was like, wow. I would say lately, the next thing for me is I love this dude, Dermot Kennedy. I don't know. I don't know how I found him. I don't know how he came up, uh, but he has a record. Spotify radio has really pushed it on me, but it has not hit me. I just listened to it on a never ending loop and it's really I, it was his NPR Tiny Desk session. I watched that, and then I don't know how influential it is, but it's, I just can't stop listening to it. I would honestly, I would say Pine Grove was more influential, and I'll tell you because those songs are the most oddly arranged songs I've heard in a long time. They like he'll do four choruses back to back, or like four verses and no chorus in the song ends, and I love it. And I don't like brain does not compute. Like I shouldn't, you know. Yeah. It sh- shouldn't wor- shouldn't work, but it does. That band is void of any formula at all in almost every song, and it's so impressive to me, and it's so inspiring when I hear that and that Dermot Kenny thing are just like fresh things that actually knock me off of my my seat here and think like, oh, that's you know that's something cool, that's something different. So I guess the last thing is is uh, tell us where everybody can find you and plug away. QCAudio.com, QC Audio on Instagram. I don't know how to use Twitter. So if you ever find me on Twitter, it exists as a reposting tool, but I don't know how it works. Uh, I don't like Facebook because it's a cesspool. And uh, yeah, I like to look at your pictures and I like to show you pictures, make little comments because I'm simple and I hate social media. So uh, if you want to get a hold of me, hit me up on there or uh, I have a booking form on my website if you want to work with me. And that way it gives me all the, the details of what I'm just going to eventually fucking ask you anyways. So save me the time.
Thanks so much for joining us on the Noise Creators Podcast today. Just so you know, we have a lot more episodes already taped and coming up. I'm going to be doing a ton of these through the end of 2020. So please get subscribed on your favorite podcast app as well. You get charged nothing. There's no commercials for this. So the best thing you can do is share it and tell a friend who may enjoy it as well. Go check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com dash muse formation where i'm teaching musicians how to go from zero to ten thousand fans and a ton of wisdom on songwriting and record production thanks so much for listening